From KIOS in Omaha and Exarbon Creative, you are listening to Riverside Chats. I am Tom Noblock, and today I am talking with Naomi Hadaway, who is running to represent District 6 on the Omaha City Council. I ran a large group for folks that had repatriated back home from being overseas, and I ran it on Facebook when Facebook groups were just starting. And I learned very quickly the power of connection through digital sources. Um, And that's something that not all of our um, elected officials know how to do. Uh, One is communicate with their constituents and two, do it in ways that uh, aren't traditional. Hadaway talks about running a campaign in the middle of a pandemic. Also her vision for Omaha, what it can be, what it's failed to be and where she hopes to bring it if she gets elected. Stay tuned for that conversation right here on Riverside Chats. And welcome to Riverside Chats. I am Tom Noblock, and today we're doing a conversation with Naomi Hadaway, who is running for Omaha's City Council. The City Council elections are not until April, so there's some time to talk to people who are not exclusively running for office. Although, as part of the whole idea of this show, to be truly engaged is to understand the intentional nature of everything around us. And part of that means not only to care about politics every four years, right? So, how the city looks what happens, where we're going from here, what the city will be in four years is largely dependent on the people in the city who are doing things, including people on our city council. So it was exciting to me to get the chance to talk to Naomi Hadaway. I previously talked with Cami Watkins, and I'm hoping to talk to a lot of people who want to be on the city council or uh, various other local positions. I think it's interesting to learn because I, I feel like uh, until I started doing a show like this honestly I, I was I was kind of aware you know you'd read the news when there's some very notable thing that happens but to think that there were a lot of people doing this job at all times is something that I feel like I should have been more aware of and I wasn't and so I'm also hoping to share that with you so vicariously if you're in the same position I'm in where you think like how do I not know more about this I'm, I'm gonna try to help you there right so here is my conversation with Naomi Hadaway Please enjoy. We're doing this kind of, uh, you know, in a, a week where attention is on federal issues. Uh, I guess I'll, I'll start with just why, why is it important for people to care about the Omaha City Council? You know, I think it's it's so supremely important uh, just from a standpoint of uh, the more we know, uh, the more I think it's th- that we're able to really identify what what city council does, first of all, it's a lot of folks that I talk to don't know what city council does, um, let alone who their representative is. And uh, when you dig into the issues, and I've, I've got it right here, the budget from 2020, it's a big, big hefty thing. And in it are pages and pages of things that um, interact with our day to day, you know, libraries, parks, swimming pools, um, mental health, even, you know, uh, over steps and, and crosses over with Douglas County and city council. Um, so I, I just think that when we think about what's normally gets all the attention is our federal, um, politicians and our politics. Um, I would love to see more people be more invested or at least, uh, ask questions. You know, I, I think that it's sometimes hard to be invested if you don't know, um, what to even ask about, but, um, I think city engagement is really important. Did, I mean, when you were growing up, were you into politics or any of this sort of like, how does the world work questions? 
super into how does the world work. <laughs> yeah, so maybe I come by it a little bit naturally. Um, my grandfather, uh, often we, we joke because there would be um, basement sessions with him and a huge whiteboard. And we'd learn all about the way uh, that the world works, whether it was energy or science or um, neurons, just all sorts of things. Um, the other piece, I think, in terms of growing up and being interested, uh, my family, we homeschooled for years before it was legal in the state of Nebraska. And I watched my mom navigate advocacy and being very engaged with folks that could rewrite policy to change that reality for us. Um, and so I think, you know, I guess before you ask the question that way, I would have always said I never wanted to get into politics. Um, but if you, when you reference it that way, yeah, I guess it has always been a thing. So you said your grandpa was the one you'd ask all these questions to? Mm-hmm. What, how did he know everything? Where does his knowledge you know, come from? We, that was always the mystery about grandpa. Uh, he just, he always knew everything. Um, we born and raised in North Platte and then, um, moved to Omaha as I think I was 12-ish or something. And um, it was really cool to be closer to grandpa because um, he did know everything. Um, He taught us, you know, how to drive. Um, He has some patents around um, telephones. Um, He just, he was just one of those guys that knew so much. That seems both inspiring and intimidating. I mean, to have someone in your family who knows everything, you're like, well, I can't ever quite get there. (laughs) Right. Like, I remember my grandpa, uh, when I was in, like, middle school, he argued with me. He's like, uh, something about Davy Crockett didn't die in the Alamo, and I grabbed an encyclopedia. And, <laughs> or I think I told him, no, he did. And then my grandpa grabbed an encyclopedia and walked outside and then never mentioned it again because he was wrong. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> so that's funny. I, I think I would have appreciated I feel like I still want someone just to explain everything to me with a whiteboard. I think my radio show is kind of my, my substitute right? for that. Well, and I think that one of the things that, that my grandfather instilled in us was a love for learning. And uh, I, I think he helped us understand why it's important to ask questions. You know, I, he very much has, has o- had always told us, don't ever be afraid to ask a question and then keep asking. Um, and I think that I, that's something I see as I talk to voters in Omaha is there's some kind of weird shame around not knowing about the way that our government works. And so we just kind of all uh, don't talk about it um, on a deeper level because there's kind of an embarrassment around not knowing the answer. So um that's something I'm excited about is helping to do some education. I'm learning right along with um, some of the voters. So, yeah, I mean, it occurs to me that uh, whether you're an elected official or not, everybody, I think maybe our culture, because we have access to every piece of information in the world really easily, there's a lot of pressure to feel like you're an expert on everything you ever talk about. And it's just, first of all, impossible to do that. But I, it seems like uh, even like at an electoral level, People, when they talk about an issue, there isn't really the sense that like I need to learn a lot about it from my voters or from my constituency or whatever it might be. So that seems like that's a new-ish philosophy to bring to government, even at a local level. I think it is new. Um, you know, I, I did some gun violence prevention work um, back in 2017, and I will never forget one of our state senators uh, when we were talking with him about this issue. He said very plainly, I cannot know everything about all the issues that matter to my constituents. So I do rely heavily on people that um, who have the impact or the lived experience to help inform me. Now, you know, he was also very clear. That doesn't mean that people just bring him things and then he goes forth on that. But um, it really inspired me from a place of being able to say, you know what, I don't know the answer to that. Um, either give me some time to learn that, uh, to research it, or 
asking the folks that are, are living with whatever it is, whatever the topic is, um, to share uh, their, their own input and, and some research help. So when you were a kid and you were being homeschooled, I mean, was that kind of an insular world? Were you able to sort of talk to a lot of people or did it make you introverted? What was that like? You know, it's, it's funny. I think, uh, maybe not funny. That's probably not the right word. I think it's interesting that we are now in a phase where more and more people are interested in homeschooling or being forced to homeschool. Um, because one of the stigmas for me anyway, um, you know, I won't give away how old I am, but in the seventies or eighties, um, it was definitely that homeschooled kids were like stuck in, you know, the house by themselves. Um, and it, it wasn't that. It was uh, a lot of opportunities to get together with other homeschooling families. Um, we did sports and art lessons and all sorts of fun things with other Omaha schools. Um, I played volleyball, basketball, soccer. We did Latin lessons, all sorts of fun stuff with different schools um, that opened up their classrooms and their teachers to us. Um, and I think the beauty of it, too, was just being able to have um, experiences. I remember one very distinctly. My mom took us to watch a wrecking ball um, take down a building. And, um, we got to talk with the operator of the wrecking ball and he taught us, you know, how it works and the timing. And, um, there was just so many opportunities for that kind of, I guess, specialized customized learning, um, that I really appreciate. What was the impulse to homeschool? Uh, you know, at the time we, we lived in North Platte. My dad uh, was one of the first black, uh, union Pacific engineers and so he was working at a Bailey yard. And at the time there was um, two options, basically, well, three options. There was St. Pat's, which is a Catholic school, um, the public school, which wasn't my parents' first choice for me, um, and then a little Christian school. And um, they just didn't really appreciate the options for me at the time. Um, and I think that's something that I, I have taken into my own parenting life is realizing that there's some choice in the matter of uh, what makes sense for your, your kids in terms of school. Um, and then I think, you know, once they made that decision, it just it kept on as the right thing for our family as my other siblings were born. Um, my little brothers did go to school for a while, um, but I went the rest of my education all homeschooling. So that, that turned out okay. <laughs> and did you say that your mom had to do a lot of advocacy then to sort of make that something that the city was okay with happening? She, um, yeah, I mean, I think it was it was less about the city level and more about the state level. Okay. Uh, she wanted to be a part of um, helping that to be an option for more families. Um, I, I find it interesting, uh, you know, Dave Carnes recently passed away. Um, and he was a part of um, Nebraskans for Education, which was a, a whole thing back then. Uh, he, he really helped with some of those parents that really wanted to just get in and try and understand what policy needed to be written so that homeschooling was legalized. Um, and I think part of that, too, was, you know, around uh, truancy. You know, if, if kids weren't in school, then the other opposite at the time was that you were truant and just wanting to, to provide some boundaries and some uh, legislation to allow people to make that choice. So then, I mean, was that something where when you're a kid, you're sort of more aware probably than some kids would have been that a person in a community can change things? I mean, at a state level, you like you can actually get involved with 
I mean, cause I feel like so many people, because unless they have a role model or I don't know, direct exposure to change, it's easy just to assume that everything is very fixed and that we don't right. really have much power and that you don't really think about how intentional everything is in the way that it is put together. So, I mean, yeah. I, I assume that shaped your worldview in some way, right? I think it did. And I, I recently um, started writing a book and in talking with my mom and my grandmother and getting, you know, like, Hey, what happened with this memory that I have? I don't remember all of it. It was an opportunity for me to really understand that my mom really was a mover and shaker in terms of advocacy. Um, she was my role model for seeing a gap and filling it. And I think even more importantly to that, which is what I want to take into the city council is bringing other people along to collaborate. Um, it's one thing to see a gap. It's one thing to fill it. But when you bring other people and when you um, kind of incite and activate other people, um, that's when you have impact. Uh, so yeah, it did, it did start young. So when you're growing up then, I mean, was there a chance or like, were you thinking about jobs and like career paths that would lead you toward changing the community? I always wanted to be a teacher. Uh, <laughs> I've always been that kid that like runs around with a bag of books. Um, and then even now, uh, not so much now in COVID days, but I always go somewhere with a book. Uh, my library holds list is always very long. Um, my bookworm uh, purchase list is very long. Um, but I quickly realized that teaching probably wasn't my thing. Um, I worked for a lot of attorneys as a paralegal here in Omaha. And then we moved overseas. And when we were overseas, I realized um, because of work permits, you know, I wasn't able to work. Um, I realized how impactful you can be in a community, regardless of what your job title is. Um, so I did a lot of really cool initiatives there. And then when we, we moved back, uh, started a real estate company. Uh, again, seeing a gap and needing to fill it um, after having our own experience of being relocated as a family with real estate agents that um, weren't quite as committed to what our family needed as we needed them to be. So. So what were some of those books that were uh, blowing your mind when you were growing up? Oh, gosh, when I was growing up. I mean, when I was little, it was, and I actually have some of them, um, the Nancy Drew um, yeah. series. Like, I loved all of those. I loved um, Little House on the Prairie. I loved anything that, that told a story through volumes um, so that, that there was some longevity. Um, so, yeah, that, those were my favorites when I was little. Did your grandpa give you some good book selections? You know, his books were not really books that you would just sit down on a corner of the couch and read. His were, yeah. <laughs> his were more in-depth and you would need like four other books to dissect the books that he'd just given you. So <laughs> not so much. But I mean, so as somebody who's interested in how the world works, surely your uh, your book, your interest in certain types of books would veer that direction at some point, right? I mean, so like, what, what were some of the things you were consuming or still are even maybe? Yeah, I think still are, to answer that piece of the question, um, and I'm, has I, like, I want to turn around because my bookshelf is behind me with all of my collection. I think that what I, I tend to lean towards are books that talk about um, leadership and personal growth, um, especially that of groups of people. Um, some of the books that I've really loved reading, uh, there's one book by Dr. McLeod called Necessary Endings, and it just talks about grief and separation and closure. Um, and I think books like that, that kind of surpass and um, can resonate to so many different situations, I think are really important. Um, I also really love books about business, um, which not too many of my friends share the same love. Um, so those don't get passed around as much, but 
So uh, we, why come back to Omaha after, after you made it out? I feel like that's a question that comes up with everybody. Uh, they, they maybe leave for they either never get out or they leave for a little bit and something brings them back. What was it for you? Yeah. Yeah. So my husband is in private aviation and uh, that career is what took us overseas. Um, when we moved back to the United States, uh, our kids were of an age where they were starting to really, I think, need roots and be in a place where... Uh, they could establish friendships uh, and be able to look back on their high school years and what have you. So when he was uh, offered a job back in Omaha, it was that opportunity um, to intentionally choose to come back, which I think has some, um, you know, it has some some merit to it, um, to be able to say, yeah, we're coming back to be able to be of impact. Uh, my family is still here. And so it's good to be back in the same zip codes. Um, and I think, you know, Coming back, I'll just be candid. There were some things that I had hoped we would have been farther along um, in terms of a city, um, but there's a lot of things that I was actually glad to come back and see. We're still here, you know. So Omaha is Omaha is a great place to be back in, um, and it's growing and changing a lot. Um, so it's exciting to be a part. What were some of those things that you had wished that Omaha would have changed a little bit more on at that point? I I was. I was, um, I was happy to see some of my friends still here and I was bummed to see, you know, that, that brain drain, um, that, that exodus of folks that don't stay because of what their lived experience was like or how they were treated. Um, I think Omaha has such a vast opportunity to truly be great for everyone who calls Omaha home. And I was hoping for a little bit of change with that, um, you know, I, I also was hoping that there'd be less uh, East Omaha versus West Omaha. Uh, that still exists, and um, but I think I think we can I think we can make it towards that changing. If you're just joining us, I'm talking today with Naomi Hadaway, who is running to represent District Six on Omaha's City Council. So, I mean, how long how long was it then between coming back here and then getting to this point now with joining the City Council as as your goal? Um, well, so the city council decision was made uh, in May of this year of 2020. Uh, we moved back in 2017. And so I have been doing uh, community, you know, work, um, working at Habitat for Humanity of Omaha, doing some housing work. Um, currently, I'm working at Metro, this is the really long organization name, Metro uh, Area Community no, that's wrong. Metro Area Continuum of Care for the Homeless, uh, designing their COVID response plan for eviction prevention. Uh, so very much squared in the housing space. But I started realizing that the thing that was missing was being able to impact the way that we wrote policy. And since the city council is the legislative branch of city government, um, I just started feeling and realizing that that was probably the next thing uh, was being able to impact the way that our rules are written. Um, and have some um, ability to be a part of that. So was it that you're seeing things that the city council just doesn't have perspective on and that you felt like there needed to be somebody with more hands-on experience in that sector to be able to actually make effective uh, changes? I think it's partially that. I think that when, you know, in, in any setting, if we don't have a diverse set of voices, um, I think that then your policy um, is impacted negatively by that. Um, unless your city is made up of all of the same types of people, of course, which Omaha's not. Omaha's very rich in its diversity. 
And um, just for clarification, my definition of diversity is not um, in the way that we physically present. Um, it's in a lot of things. Um, so, you know, for me running in district six, uh, I bring to the table a lot of layers of my identity, one being that I'm disabled, one that I am biracial, um, I'm a mom, um, and I've been very embedded in working with the community to, to um, impact and to bring into change what the community needs and wants. So um, I'm excited about a lot of the other candidates that have come forth for city council. I think that um, with numbers comes a higher percentage that we'll see some of that diversity get elected in. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, I watched the city council meetings. I've been to them in the past. I've testified at them before. Um, I think that our city government is working well. I don't think that there's anything that's um, drastically wrong with it. There's a lot of opportunities for improvement on some certain things that I would like to see changed. But generally, I think it's just time for some diversity um, and some different lived experience to be sitting in those chairs. Yeah, I mean, representation is a weird thing where we, we seem to both – I think everyone can kind of agree that it makes sense that the representatives should look like the populace. But then at the same time, we have this weird expectation of people who seem qualified to hold office. And and that's very narrow. And one thing that I'm really confused about is this idea that you know billionaires are the best people to represent everybody. Like I don't really get at both a federal and a local level why – so many Nebraskans will think like, okay, yeah, the, the person who I want representing me is somebody who has very few of the same problems that I have. Uh, you know, like I, I was thinking the other day, just like, I don't even know when I think about a billionaire's average day, like how many times do we run into the same issue? And it's probably on things like indigestion or like, you know, it's, it's probably not the, the, the general things that policy is going to make a huge impact on. Uh, so, I mean, like, do you find that that's shifting though? Are, are we broadening, at least in Nebraska, in Omaha, are idea of who should be running for things of who should be representing the populace? I hope so. I, I think that part of that comes from uh, there being community support. You know, uh, there's a fabulous organization in Nebraska called women who run Nebraska uh, from Leanne and Denise's brainchild. And I think that the more things like that happen where they are coming up to support um, women or folks that identify as women, who say, I'm curious about this and I wanna know more. Women who run Nebraska come right along, you know, step alongside and say, well, here's some resources, here's some information and we're here to support you while you investigate. Um, until we start changing what that support looks like, we'll never change what the candidates look like um, or what they bring to the table. You know, a lot of the questions I'm asked when I'm talking with folks is what are my qualifications and what's my education? Um, and then I always ask them, well, I don't, what's, what is our current city council? Um, what's their education and their qualifications? They're like, um, I don't know. And it's not like a challenging question. It's just, is that the right question to be asking folks? Um, and I don't know that it is. I think the other thing that's worth mentioning and, and something that I'm also kind of intrigued about is a lot of our elected positions are not paid well enough for it to be a full-time job. So, you know, in terms of access, a lot of the folks, and I'm not, I'm not specifically talking about city council, but in elected official seats, a lot of folks who end up there can afford to be there. Um, they're not trying to solely put food on the table for their families. Um, so they have, you know, other, other folks that might run are going to need a second job, uh, maybe three, to be able to make that work. So I just think there's some things that we can change. 
and, and quite honestly, until we start having a diverse set of candidates, which we'll see for 2021 for sure, um, and until some of those folks are elected, it we're not setting um, the we're not modeling behavior very well. Um, so, but I, but we're getting there. I'm I'm excited about the future. I am talking today with Naomi Hadaway, who is running to represent District Six on Omaha's City Council. The elections are in April. So we will be replaying some of this and other conversations with people running for local office as we get into the spring. So we'll be back with more of my conversation with Naomi Hadaway right here after this break on Riverside Chats. If you're a fan of Riverside Chats and want to see the show not only continue but expand in new spinoff shows including a film club, a book club, and a news roundup, please consider becoming a Patreon at patreon.com slash riversidechats. For as low as just $1 a month, you get access to exclusive audio as well as our full backlog of episodes. Our most recent 50 are always free. Older than that goes behind the paywall. So you get that plus exclusive content over at patreon.com slash riversidechats. Please consider becoming a patron today. And welcome back to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock, and today I'm talking with Naomi Hadaway, who is running to represent District 6 in Omaha's City Council. The municipal elections are in April, and she is starting to figure out the campaign, especially one on Zoom, which we talk about. Here's the rest of our conversation about running the campaign and also her vision for Omaha. Well, and I mean, so it sounds like for you, you it's like you gradually got to the point of deciding to run. But I mean, I, I assume to some extent it's daunting just to try to figure out the logistics. And then on top of that, I mean, it feels like most people I talk to, there's some moment where something clicks and it's like, you know, all right, I have to, I have to do this now. I can't stand by or I can't just think that someday in the future I might do it. So, I mean, for you, what was the process of actually committing to it and how did that go? Yeah. So I, I had been um, looking for something to do in terms of my time and my impact. And so I was, I was interviewing a couple of people and just asking around for uh, board of director positions where I could offer my volunteer time. But I was very specific every time I would talk to someone. And I said, I want to work, though. I don't want it to be just a four times a year where we sit around a table and watch a presentation and then vote on some things. I wanted to be like in the trenches. And uh, it happened to be that I was talking with someone right when the city council had a resolution basically to support the family of George Floyd and to um, denounce the actions uh, of the officers involved in that. And I watched the city council meeting around that resolution and Omaha after Omaha after Omaha got up and almost every one of them, their voices were shaking. They held their sheet that they had written their thoughts down and their hands were shaking. And I thought to myself, like, that's what civic engagement looks like, is people speaking up even when they're scared, people showing up even when they don't know what they're doing. And I wanted to be a part of providing that access to more Omahans. Um, And so for me, with the city council, it looks like education, like we talked about, talking very openly and in plain language about what city government means. And then physical access uh, from a standpoint of translation and language services and um, wheelchair access and people that are uh, mobility aid users. Are all of our Omahans able to get to an access city government? Right now, no. Um, and so I want to be a part of changing some of that. So that was that was kind of the culmination was that one meeting that I watched. Um, and then it goes back to 
what I said earlier, I want to be a part of rewriting some of the policies that don't um, provide equity for everyone. Yeah. And I mean, in this year uh, has been a rough one for Omaha in many ways. And I don't know, I mean, this is anecdotal, but I feel like just in my own experience, I've probably heard more of my peers and people I just encounter throughout the day, just really consider leaving Omaha, leaving Nebraska this year than I have in as long as I can remember. So, I mean, I assume that part of it as well is, you know, if, if things don't change, then, uh, I mean, they're going to change one way or the other, right? It's sort of like, you're going to lose a lot of these people who maybe could change the the way that the representation works or change the people who are actually getting something from the local and, you know, whatever the state government, uh, you know, so you kind of have to make that decision. So, I mean, for you, was it, you were locked in though, and it wasn't like a point where you had to sort of think about like, okay, is it, is this the place for me? It was more like, I'm going to make it the place for me. Right. Yeah, I think so. Um, there's there's something that we've done when we've uh, moved to a place and then subsequently left it, uh, more so overseas, or it, we call it leaving well. Um, and there's also something on the opposite side about placemaking. And when you've chosen to make a place your home, um, I just know that we thrive better when we are very intentionally connected to the community. Um, one of the things that I think is interesting, uh, you know, there's there's very specific city government oversight and there's very specific county and very specific state. Um, but the state has something called Blueprint Nebraska, which is a 20 by 2030, these things are supposed to happen. And one of the things that um, the governor has put out is that he wants to see 43,000 new 18 to 34 year olds in Nebraska by 2030. And I'm like, well, couldn't we just keep the ones we have? Like, I mean, maybe that would be the start is at a city level, looking at some things that we could do um, with money, with resources, with collaboration. I don't know. I mean, that would be a start. What's his plan for that? How's he, how's he planning to do that? Well, a lot of it's economically based, right? It's, it's around jobs. And I think that is fine, but you know, I talked to a lot of District 6 voters who are really sad and really upset because their kids left Nebraska. And that means future grandkids left. You know, there's there's a lot of um, hurt around the fact that Nebraska can't, keep, can't seem to keep its best and brightest. Now, I will say there's a lot of the best and brightest and amazing talent that does stay. Um, but I just think we've got we've got some options and we need to we need to look closer at how we can shift that because a lot of our uh, amazing people are, are, are leaving and 2020 has exacerbated that for sure. So uh, what, what are you hearing then about what changes people want to see to make them stay? I think people want to, you know, we, we talk about Omaha being a little city or a big town. Um, and I think that people, a lot of folks I talk to want to see us catch up to the fact that we are a city, like we're, we're big. Um, we have, you know, from our nonprofits that are here that are brilliant and amazing and doing really great things. We have an amazing um, resource in our philanthropy. Um, I think people just want to see more innovation and more try and more effort. Um, I also hear uh, mental health as a, as a big piece that we really, um, we don't have any more room for excuses on why we're not prioritizing mental health. Um, and that comes from in our schools with our, our kids and our students. Um, all the way up to our veterans, you know, it's, it's just a, a big thing. One of the other things that I, I hear a lot that I'm, I'm interested in learning more about and doing more research is there's a lot of um, folks 
that are concerned about our elders and whether they can age in place. You know, are nursing homes the answer? And if, if not, then what else can we do? And so that goes back to, you know, my love for housing, um, sustainability. And, and I think, I think Omahans want to know that they're in a place that cares for all of their residents, uh, no matter what age and no matter where uh, they were born. So, well, that's one of those things that shouldn't be a tall order, but it seems to be when people have very uh, drastically different priorities, it seems like, uh, and I mean, I don't know how, I don't know how you, I don't know if you can fix that one easily necessarily, but I mean, I noticed your campaign, I wrote it here. So stability, equity, and sustainability are on your website as the three main sort of pillars of what you're running on. How'd you land on those three? Oh, it's so hard. And I feel like I could change them every day. The more I talk to folks, the more I realize there's just so many things out there. Um, but, you know, when I think about my values and the way that I've lived my life, um, those three things resonate really well. Um, and I think you can fit um, a lot into under those three. I'm going to open my book because I wrote notes earlier today. Like if I go through the list, there's mental health, garbage recycling, libraries, parks, um, police staffing, the step up program, the new orbit bus um, transit system, um, community services program funding. So I could I could put all of those things under the three and then let that kind of be where we sit. Um, sustainability, uh, like we were talking about with aging in place is a really um, solvable thing. I think that's one of those like easy fixes that we could do. There's two great organizations in Omaha that already do work on aging in place. And so maybe we, direct some money um, towards them so that we can just really do some marketing and um, get the word out. Equity, um, we have we have farther to go on that one in Omaha. Uh, Mayor Stothert did announce um, in late June her efforts at making sure that the departments of the city were, um, that, had, that the departments have equitable hiring practices. Um, but I think that also needs to be extended to um, every day reality, not just um, some pie in the sky, you know, we, we hope to get to this place. Um, the fire department recently has announced um, a really great, I think they've done a great work in um, diversifying their last recruit cycle. Um, equity, I could talk about for the next three hours. Um, stability, I think comes down to the fact that we, you know, Omaha is a good place to raise a family. Um, but I think that that stability needs to be felt by everyone um, in all of our neighborhoods. Um, and I think as we come out the other side of what whatever post COVID looks like, um, we're going to need to rely on our neighbors quite a bit. Um, so there's some stability stuff that kind of comes on under that one. Well, it seems like COVID really has uh, underlined several of the issues that people have been talking about for a long time, but maybe didn't Maybe if they didn't directly affect you, it was harder to really feel like it should be a priority. Whereas now, I think a lot of people's priorities are shifting. Has that been the case for uh, some of the issues that you're thinking about uh, changing? Yeah, it has. And I think that goes back to also when we were talking about access. Um, I think one of the things that I found highlighted so quickly was that being stuck at home. And so a, a lot of our neighbors and our community members who are disabled have that same reality, whether it's because our streets are curb cuts um, and our access doesn't allow for transportation for deliveries um, either to their home or just transportation from a doctor's appointment um, to another spot. Um, that has been more felt by 
the, a larger group of our society. Uh, and then working from home is a huge, huge piece that I think most people didn't understand what that felt like. And so you're right, it did underline those issues. And I think um, in a good way has just provided awareness. Uh, and, and to be fair, I don't think it's, uh, it's not normal for you to understand or have empathy for something that you haven't gone through. So I think um, we're all kind of leveling ourselves out on the same playing field now to understand what it means to not have internet for your kids when they're at home trying to do school. Um, you know, it's been something that's impacted a lot of our city for a long time, but now the whole city knows what it feels like. Uh, and the more that we have that kind of level playing field, that's when we can start to come together and collaborate. And so that's to bring it back to why I want to run for city council. You need people that have that kind of leadership mentality that know how to collaborate, how to listen, uh, and how to speak the same language um, as the community that needs, needs some of that resources and that shoring up. Well, I mean, in this, your, your interest in just going back to like, how does the world work? I think you should, everyone should probably strive to have empathy for things they don't understand, but you have to, you know, that, that takes effort. It doesn't come, you know, you don't automatically know what to even empathize with, I guess, unless you're trying to talk to people who aren't living exactly like you. So, I mean, I don't know. It's, it seems like something that certainly uh, as a representative, that's, if if that's something you've already sort of honed in on, that makes sense that the people who voted for you or the people just in your district, uh, you know, you would have maybe an empathy for them that it doesn't have to, like, they don't have to be exactly like you in order for you to understand what concerns they might have. Right. And I think COVID is, like I said before, kind of underlined some of that for just the average person. Um, I just geeked out with Cammie Watkins the other day about composting and recycling. Uh, where, where do you fall on the whole waste problem? So, I, I listened to that and I loved it. I thought it was a great episode. Um, you know, I think that I, I was just watching, you know, I don't know when this will air, but in late October, they had the discussion uh, with city council about the recycling contract. And um, I watched it with interest because I think that recycling is something we all want to do. And then if it's not made easy or if it's not simple, um, it's it becomes something that we don't think about every day. Uh, so I was I was honestly glad that they voted no. Uh, I know that wasn't what the mayor wanted, um, but I think it just requires some more time. Like we need to know and we need to trust and know that the company that's providing that service uh, is going to do it right. Uh, I also resonated with the discussion that it shouldn't be a 10-year contract, that we should have a shorter time period to be able to make adjustments. Um, personally, at our house, we do recycle. We've been using orange bags for a little while. Um, growing up, we composted uh, everything, uh, but I have not su been successful at um, getting the habit of composting here lately. So I, I don't know how you get out of the habit. Once I got into it, it's, it, ch it changed my brain. Uh, I think yeah. of everything in terms of, you know, will that biodegrade? I'm always telling people <laughs> and I'm really annoying. I think to everybody around me, because I'm like, oh, I'll do you do it for Oh, do you do it when you go to other people's houses though? Do you like, oh wait? Uh, well, I, I try to, you know, I preach it to them and I try to get them on board with it. And, uh, you know, some of my friends I think are annoyed with it. Other ones are like, can I, can I bring my compost over to your house? And I'm like, yes, absolutely. So I don't know. I feel a little culty sometimes when I'm, you know, when I won't shut up about it, but the, there is something about, and I was talking with Cammy about this, which is once you make some of those adjustments, uh, about whether it's sustainability or what to do with waste. And once you let yourself accept that it's going to be a little bit more complicated than just throwing something in a bin, 
it's really easy to make that change. And it's kind of, I find hard to break that once you're used to it. And once you can kind of, I don't know, ethically decide, okay, I think it's better for me to compost than just to throw, you know, to have food waste at all. Uh, And so, I mean, do you find that, I mean, are there issues that you specifically would want to see Omaha just get used to sort of some new ways of thinking about things? Because probably once they do accept some changes, it's there to stay. Yeah, no, I, yes. So um, I think the one thing that resonates with most people without it becoming um, a, do you feel this way or this way issue is accessibility. So um, to put it very simply uh, in terms of like social media, so having videos captioned, um, there's something called camel caps. So if you hashtag something, capitalizing the first letter of every word makes it much easier for someone who is visually impaired to be able to use a screen reader to see those hashtags. Um, I saw someone talk about today how annoying it was because they had been on a presentation that was all text on the slide and then the person presenting presenting read out the entire slide. And so I was realizing in my head, my accessibility brain went to, that's really great. For someone that was visually impaired, if they were at that presentation, they wouldn't have been able to participate. Um, Boston City Council recently um, has been introducing some ordinances around language access for city government. So every city department has a language access liaison to make sure that regardless of what language you speak or what access needs you have, you can get the answers you need. Um, So I, I think that there's a lot I could go on and on Um, But accessibility matters a lot to me. And I think that it's like you were talking about with composting. Once you know, and once it becomes a habit, it's so stark when it's not there. You know, for you, if you see someone throw something away that's compostable, you're like, no, don't do that. Um, And I think one of the things that I will bring up is a lot of folks want to see streetscapes changing, less cars, more people. But what they're forgetting about the more people piece is all people. Uh, so a lot of times you'll see this, you know, really cool rendering of taking cars off of the streets and then it's like outdoor seating areas and bike lanes. And while I think all of those things are amazing, I just want to make sure that Omaha also thinks about wheelchair users and folks that need access via a vehicle to get someplace uh, because people that need mobility aids or a little bit of help matter just as much as everyone else does. So. Yeah, another so, thing I'll keep out forever. I don't. <laughs> well, I mean, just to, to continue, on, continue on that for a little bit here is, are there arguments that are made against accessibility generally, or is it a lack of knowledge that it's even something to address? I think it's a lack of knowledge and awareness. And then shortly after that is it feels hard or it's expensive. So if you have made um, a curb, which is for vehicles, it's expensive to cut a curb, to put a, a, a curb cut in it for wheelchair. Um, if you have a building that is not accessible, it's expensive to put in push buttons for door openings. Um, but it's just, we just have to be smart about how we find that money. Um, I think that there's also, uh, you know, for our philanthropy in the city of Omaha, they often are looking for really cool, fun, innovative things to fund. And I think that accessibility can be cool and fun. And so I just think we need to reframe what we're asking for sometimes. Um, so yeah, I would say that the lack of accessibility usually comes from a lack of awareness and then it's hard. Um, but there's great folks in Omaha that uh, know the answers and we can lean on and collaborate with. So not impossible. Well, so, I mean, it kind of goes to everything we've just been talking about, but I think people think they don't like change 
Although I think change is usually easier than people give it credit for being. So, I mean, how do you convince people who maybe are resistant to change? Not, you know, not necessarily even on the practical level, but just, you know, this, it feels hard, whether it is hard or not. How do you open that door for them so that they come to your side or can meet you somewhere in the middle? Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I think it's part, it's both. Like you have to open the door and take one step out of it to ask someone to come the other way. Um, I think what I say a lot to people is to imagine that we're one situation away from needing that service. So if you're, you're talking about accessibility, we are all one accident or one morning or one diagnosis away from that. Uh, we're all aging every day. So we're all that much closer to um, needing the services that aging in place provides. Um, so oftentimes I think it's just a matter of finding that talking point, the, the point of connection, uh, you know, asking someone a question like, do you have aging parents or uh, do you know anyone that's ever cared for someone who's aging or, or has had to have a caretaker? Um, or sometimes it's just as easy as telling a story. So I will um, tell my story of disability. And then oftentimes people are like, oh, I broke, I broke something once or, you know, and then you just start to have that commonality uh, come out. So I think it's signaling, I guess, signaling and, you know, the term of um, sharing more about yourself so others can kind of respond to the signal you're putting out. So well, so another thing that I think everybody's trying to figure out, and may, maybe they have, I don't know, but to run a campaign of any kind during a pandemic, uh, I certainly, like I've talked to Kara Eastman and a couple other people who are just like, yeah, yeah. I mean, just everything <laughs> the conventional wisdom says, here's how you run a campaign is out the window now. Which is fantastic. Yeah. Well, it's, think, it's change. Yeah. Yeah. But see, I, and I think the difference is, so so Cami and I, uh, city council races aren't until spring of 2021. So I think we probably are coming at this as a more um, an experimental, um, you know, exciting opportunity where folks like Kara who have been doing this for a while and had to pivot in the middle of a very planned out um, strategic campaign. I'm sure that was hard. So um, I'm, I'm jovial about it because we're just starting. Um, one of the things that excites me about that change. Um, I ran a large group for folks that had moved, uh, repatriated back home from being overseas. And I ran it on Facebook uh, when Facebook groups were just starting. And I learned very quickly the power of connection through digital sources. Um, and that's something that not all of our um, elected officials know how to do. Uh, one is communicate with their constituents. And two, do it in ways that uh, aren't traditional. Um, so that's one of the things I'm excited about is being able to use um, different ways to connect with people. Plus, honestly, you know, it, it all comes down to connections. And so COVID or no COVID, um, being able to be relatable and um, having, having a connection to possibility, I think, uh, is going to let people have an easy choice on who they're going to vote for uh, based on what it is that they want the next four years of city government to look like. So what else haven't I brought up here that you want to make sure people know about you and your campaign? Oh goodness. Um, we've covered a lot. Yeah. Have we covered it all? <laughs> is this it? <laughs> uh, you know, I think that the things that I feel that we didn't talk about that I would want to bring up. Um, I think that it's important that we, in Omaha, uh, when it comes to civic engagement, um, that we remember that it's it's it takes all of us. Like even watching um, the city council meetings over the mask mandate, um, 
we have to be able to listen to people that are on both sides of an issue um, and realize that even both sides of an issue, there's still a wide spectrum of ways that we come at an issue. Um, I grew up in a um, family that had two separate sides of believing. My husband and I vote opposite of each other. Um, and I think that some of that stuff is really, really powerful to be able to um, learn how to sit in the space with people who don't agree with you. Uh, and so I guess it's less about what do I want to say about me, but more just an encouragement for those that are listening. Um, seek out people that might have a different opinion. Um, and then ask, you know, a deeper question, like why, tell me about why you think that way, or um, tell me what got you to that conclusion. Uh, I think that Omaha will be better for it if we all start asking more questions and then sit a spell and listen longer. So before I wrap up, I also want to ask just because I'm a book nerd. Um, <laughs> do you have any book recommendations? It could be something that'll help me understand the world better or just, I don't know, anything you want to, you want people to read just because you like oh, it. Goodness. Okay. So th this is a heavy book, but it is really, really wildly important. Um, it's a book uh, called My Grandmother's Hands by a gentleman named Resma Menekin. And it talks about how trauma sits in the body. And why I think it's so remarkable is because he talks about black and brown bodies and white bodies and the trauma that white folks endured and the trauma that comes with policing and law enforcement from the people that enter that career. And so it's really this like 360 view on trauma. Uh, and it's, um, the other thing I really appreciate about the book is he asks its readers to pause after every couple of chapters and just set it aside, um, which I think is kind of an intuitive way for a, an author to encourage someone to consume the content. So uh, that would be a suggestion. I'm just looking back at my bookshelf um, because housing is such a thing. Uh, Matthew Desmond's evicted book uh, would be another suggestion. Thank you for that. I'll definitely check them out because I'm always looking for new, uh, new books that I'm not going to find when I go look at a shelf or look at yeah. a bookstore. I guess I don't go to a bookstore really now, but when I, when I'm perusing or if I do make it back to the bookworm sometime soon or yeah. whatever it might be. Well, they offer curbside pickup. You can yeah. order and then pick up on the curbside. I, I did that once. Yeah, I got, I got a book that way, but, uh, all right. So where can people go to find information about your campaign or any, anything you're up to? Yeah. So the website for the campaign is Naomi for citycouncil.com. And I am most easily found on Instagram, also at Naomi for City Council. And then I tend to tweet from time to time at Naomi Hathaway. Well, thank you so much for talking to me today. Yeah, thanks, Tom. It was good. Riverside Chats is produced in conjunction with KIOS and Exorbin Creative. Our original music is written and performed by The Real Zebos. Our artwork is done by Ben Matukowitz. You can find our backlog of episodes wherever you get podcasts and also the oldest ones on Patreon. I'm recording this on Thanksgiving weekend, so this, this, this part is a little bit outdated, but I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. I hope that you were safe. I hope you don't have to go get the COVID test right now where they stick the thing up your nose and it's really painful. I, uh, I had to do that a couple weeks ago and it was, it was not pleasant. So I'd love to not have to be potentially exposed. Uh, I hope you also are not in that position. So stay safe. Thank you for listening as always. I'm Tom Noblock. We'll be back with another conversation next week right here on Riverside Chats.